Lisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. We've been talking a lot about lay summaries on this podcast. It came up several occasions and, well, the time is ripe to actually talk about lay summaries in a bit more detail. To, so to explore lay summaries, we decided to talk to Max Kane, who's at the University of Geneva and a very enthusiastic science communicator. And Max has uh, launched a platform, um, which is maybe kind of growing into a journal called The Science Breaker. And the idea behind The Science Breaker is summaries of scientific articles that are understandable for anyone, for, for the lay person, for the general public. Well, the Science Breaker at the base is an attempt to bring the democratization of scientific literature to a different level. We do this because uh, we are convinced that uh, by making science available to a broader audience is not only something which will benefit the society as a whole, but will also benefit uh, the academic environment which is engaging in making this attempt of engagement. And this attempt of the engagement passed through the understanding that uh, a knowledge of the pitfall of the course of knowledge, meaningly the use of certain jargon, the using of certain expression, are creating a distance between uh, every um, nice attempt that we can do in science communication. So working on the jargon, working on uh, understanding the language necessary to bring outside of our uh, ivory tower uh, the science, is passing, it has to pass through an empathic understanding of uh, uh, our audience and, an, and a different use of the jargon that we are so much used uh, to take advantage of. At the Science Breaker, we, do, we try to do this. We, we give the possibility to make lay summaries of uh, uh, scientific research, of public scientific research. And by doing this, we engage the authors and we engage our students that are supporting the authors to make this uh, exercise a meaningful exercise, not only for society, but also for science uh, as well. What is important for me to stress about the Science Breaker is that we don't promote, even though we know them, of course, a specific uh, type um, or theory of science communication. For us, uh, we are much more baseline. We try to work on the language of the science communication, which then can stem in different models, in different ways of interaction. But we, we really try to go at the basis, which is the language of making science communication, which makes completely difference if you want to make a meaningful uh, dialogue between uh, your audience and you as, uh, um, as a scientist. So the science breaker, um, how does it work if you're an academic then? Um, do you, can you uh, submit articles and uh, approach people? How, how does it uh, specifically work? So there is uh, uh, the possibility. We, work, uh, we try to work as much as possible as a uh, real publisher. So there is the two different possibilities, uh, of course, of submitting their own uh, article. If a scientist uh, wants to submit a lay summary of uh, a published article, he or she can uh, go on our webpage of the journal and there is the possibility to uh, submit the, the article uh, freely, of course. Then there is uh, um, the other approach uh, by which we work a lot, and this is also something which is often used by publishers, uh, 
which is the commissioning. Uh, the commissioning meaning that we uh, we scout for uh, potentially interesting articles, uh, the editorial team of the Science Breaker, and we invite the authors themselves to um, to write a lay summary of their own research. This is also important as an approach because uh, um, it gives the possibility to the public, to the lay public, uh, to request uh, for some lay summary. On the web page, there are two, two, two buttons, which are uh, standing alone, uh, the most highlighted as possible. And one, of, one is the submit your article, and the other one is the request for an article. And the request for an article, for example, if uh, on the news or the journal, uh, it is mentioned research uh, for um, a recent therapeutic for Alzheimer's disease, uh, then this uh, news can be mentioned together with all the uh, useful information that can be uh, taken advantage of to, found, to find the original article and submitted to our editorial board, who will uh, look for the article, first of all. And then once the article is, uh, is found, then uh, we contact the author inviting him or her to submit a summary of, uh, of the research. And how successful is that um, approaching of, of researchers? Um, do, do they uh, respond positively or is there any kind of, uh, you know, do you get, kind of get ignored or what happens with that? <laughs> so, well, there are some disciplines that are much more prone to making sense communication than others. I will not mention which discipline, uh, discipline uh, to protect their privacy, <laughs> but uh, uh, there is some actually um, some rate of acceptance uh, that we are uh, beginning to see as a trend in these years of commissioning, and the trend is uh, uh, is around 20, 22 percent of uh, uh, positive responses uh, to our invitation uh, to submit an article. And these uh, these positive responses uh, and then the submission in turn are very well uh, very well balanced between uh, uh, PhD students, postdocs, and professors. There is uh, a one third, one third, one third uh, um, division of uh, the different categories in our authors, which is encouraging because we don't want to engage only uh, professors, um, but we also want to engage and we try to do it as much as possible the younger generation of scientists. Do you think that? Yes. Lack of experience, lack of involvement in these kind of things is sometimes a barrier um, for science communication. And um, so people don't do it because they don't kind of know how to get started or, or um, perhaps they're not uh, well trained in science communication. Well, there are, I believe, different uh, level of barriers that a scientist can face while approaching science communication. The most difficult one, um, for especially for early career scientists, is the stigma of science communication, because uh, we are still living uh, in a transition period where science communication uh, is addressed by older scientists uh, as a backup plan for uh, uh, not, let's call it, not very much successful researchers. <laughs> so the stigma, the stigma of of this, which, by the way, I, I disagree. I don't think is real anymore. No, um, and but this stigma is very real. This stigma is still present in the mind of early career scientists, which are skeptical in addressing their time uh, in making uh, science communication. Because time, and this is much more transversal, which uh, is not only for early career scientists, but is also for uh, um, more experienced uh, scientists, time is uh, another level of barrier that uh, can be found while doing science communication. Because, uh, needless to say, we are living in an academic environment that has a lot of pressure in terms of competitiveness between the different careers. 
So the famous publish or perish is uh, a very real uh, um, incentive for scientists for not engaged in any other activities which are not uh, specifically addressed uh, in having their publication done. Therefore, uh, unless time is uh, not made, is make, time is made for, make, for, uh, for engaging with science communication, then it's very difficult uh, to overcome this, uh, this barrier. So stigma and time are the most uh, prominent barriers. Then there is, of course, the, the ability, the training for, uh, for making uh, science communication, which is something which is not, uh, um, except some uh, uh, nice initiatives, like, of course, yours initiative uh, uh, for training science communication, and something that we do also, we try to do also, we uh, decide the editorial role, but also organizing uh, some workshop for first-year students uh, at the Faculty of Science here in Geneva, where we provide an overview of what, what means making science communication, which are the different stakeholders involved in science communication, which is the role of journalists that is different from the role of scientific communicator, which is the path that scientific news they take and which uh, are the uh, potential output of a good or a bad uh, science communication. All these kind of uh, tools which are essential for making a, a good science communication are not uh, often a background of the average scientist for availability and also for when maybe there is the availability, we go back again to the stigma and the time of scientists in taking this kind of workshop and training. Um, so your tagline, I've got your <clears throat> your website in front of me actually, yeah. is Science Meets Society. Yeah. And um, yes. you said a little bit about that, but I, I just wonder if you could expand kind of why you think it's important that society and science do have that connection. Yeah. Well, there is the, 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 the more pragmatic, if you want, uh, importance, which is our research is uh, uh, mostly founded by uh, public uh, tax incomes, and therefore it's not only responsibility, but it's also a duty towards uh, those who are supporting our research. This is the most pragmatic part of it. Then uh, the, the, the more social part of it is that we are living in a, in a, in a society which is more and more connected through social media, through fast news, uh, very fast pace, not only of publication of research, which counts uh, a crazy rhythm of uh, one publication published every 20 seconds. So it's really a deluge of, uh, of publication uh, mm. that are coming out. But it's also the importance of somehow um, have this uh, uh, possibility for society to refer some information which are uh, reputable, uh, which has a reputation which is uh, uh, acknowledgeable, which uh, can promote some discussion, some dialogue based on facts and not based on superstitions or myths, uh, which can, of course, damage not only the person, of course, but also the the the, the discussion by itself, the 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 solidness of the discussion. Yeah. So it's, uh, we are uh, somehow entering this kind of environment, this kind of, uh, of, uh, of interaction to promote as much as possible a dialogue which is productive. The dialogue comes first of all for us. The, it's not a matter of imposing the knowledge. It's not a matter of uh, bringing the science because we think that, that by bringing the science we resolve the problem of society, not at all. We really want uh, to the possibility to generate uh, um, an emotional contact, uh, an empathic contact between uh, one side and the other of the discussion so that there can be a dialogue which brings some uh, uh, some understanding of the research, some understanding of the situation, uh, 
some um, some less uh, ang less anger if you want in uh, in in the debate and discussion yeah i mean i i get um when when we do our workshops for the orion project um some of the feedback i get when i sort of encourage researchers to do science communication is that um firstly they as we've just discussed they don't know kind of how um, yeah. But the other thing is that they often say, oh, well, the not that the public won't understand, but that the public doesn't care about my research. Um, and I think that is partly a, a language problem, I guess, that they feel that their, their research is very jargon heavy and that kind of becomes a closed loop in itself. But also, I guess they think that their research is perhaps... Um, not engaging or, or, or boring in some way. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Well, well I have very mixed feelings about it because uh, um, I don't want to, 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 to be in denial too much and saying that uh, it doesn't exist uh, a science which is not interesting for a public, for every public, let's say, uh, because, of course, it's much more, uh, in a way, uh, catchy, I don't say engaging, but more catchy to discuss uh, about uh, emotional things or things that we as a public can uh, um, can, uh, can uh, identify much more than other topics. It's much more difficult to engage uh, with topics of uh, uh, deep physics or deep mathematics uh, and so on. So this, uh, I, I will not deny it. But what um, I will argue is that uh, when we are trying to engage the public, something which is very much transversal is not the topic itself, not only the topic itself, at least, but it's really uh, transmitting the passion, transmitting the curiosity that is leading the research, the engagement uh, for uh, what we are trying to understand, the spark in our eyes when uh, uh, we are describing the, the, the starting question of our experiments. And this is something which uh, engages the public's uh, um, unrelated from the topic. It's something which is, uh, is a basic language, is a basic connection, is a very empathic uh, approach a very empathic engagement when we put uh, in the context in the dialogue our passion our curiosity for the topic that we are describing and this can make every research uh, attractive every research interesting as far as there is uh, this component inside what we are trying to describe i believe this is my opinion about uh, uh, about curiosity not only about research itself yeah no i totally agree i mean i think you've got to um find the story behind the research and people connect to stories. They, they connect, connect to why you're trying to find something out, even if they're not necessarily completely yeah. um, interested in what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And passionate curiosity is the, 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 the initial why. The, the curiosity that we have as, uh, as children when we discover the word uh, you, you can see it in a in a two months born baby when well maybe is it too early but <laughs> in a one year born baby when he's looking around and he's discovering new things that is the the passion the same passion the same curiosity that as a scientist when he's uh, uh, discovering new data that probably will be meaningless for the final uh, research but are somehow addressing his or her own curiosity for the research that is pursuing. Yeah. Going back to you, you you described that you had the the three. O's of, uh, of science break, the science breaker, um, open yeah. access, outreach, and online. Um, yeah. and, and, and specifically about um, open access, I mean, do you feel yeah. that journals could be doing more to be accessible? I mean, apart from actually making 
making the articles available for the public, which would be nice. But lay summaries, uh, translations into more than one language. Um, well, uh, there are some. Uh, so open access, of course, is a, is a very broad uh, discussion, uh, difficult to address. There are, uh, we need to take consideration the incentives for scientists. We need to take consideration the business model of different journal. Uh, and uh, uh, also uh, the founding that is taking has to be taken in consideration. Um, the plan S that is uh, mm. being supported by a broad part of European institutions and countries is uh, probably one of the most promising approaches in terms of making a, a publicly founded research available to a broader audience. So beside that, uh, the, the um, the approaches uh, of making uh, every research, every article uh, um, available, even by these journals that at the moment are uh, adopting a model which is not open access, uh, um, might be a bit utopian for the moment, <laughs> in this very moment. But there are some uh, nice initiatives which are uh, standing. Uh, I mean, you can see it even in the main journals like uh, PNAS, uh, Science, Nature, they're trying to include the this significance abstract where you can access even before the paywall to pop up so they can somehow share the significance and importance of the research that is being described with a broader audience openly. Uh, other journals, open access like Frontiers, for example, they are making one step further and they kind of take an approach similar to ours, uh, which is making some lay summaries of research addressing, uh, of course, not every journal, not every article, like our case, but their own uh, articles. They try to make these lay summaries from the authors, which are then peer-reviewed by students, so they collaborate with schools. Uh, and uh, they make this, uh, this, this important approach, which is uh, trying to work on the nature of science uh, um, to, to understand, of course, in the early generation, uh, how science works, which then will have an impact then in the dialogue of science uh, when the, the young generation will, uh, will become policy makers, decision makers, and participate in the dialogue in a much more active way. So we are far from uh, having an open access uh, to core, but we are going in this, uh, I hope we are going in this direction, or at least there are some uh, uh, STEM initiatives which are promising. promising. Yeah, I mean, I think um, if you look at how things were five years ago, and especially 10 years ago, we've made incredible progress. Um, yeah. And there's, a, I mean, there's a couple of other sort of um, either kind of startup businesses or um, kind of platforms and projects like, like your, yours. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Science Matters, for instance, that does yeah. um, sort of single observation publication and that kind of thing, which is is trying yeah. to broaden the way that science can be published, reviewed, communicated um, in all manner of ways. Yeah. To, um, what do you see as the future for the Science Breaker? Um, are you going to expand? Are there new projects on the horizon? So, uh, well, yeah, of course, what we are trying to address as much as possible is to increase uh, um, the, the, the different disciplines which are touched by our uh, summaries. So for the moment, we mainly address uh, uh, life science summaries, even if we have a big share of publications which are coming from Earth and space uh, or mathematics and physics, but we are trying to make... Uh, uh, a level which is uh, uh, equal between the different disciplines. So try to expand it also to mathematics, physics, and chemistry uh, as much as possible on one side. 
And this means, of course, uh, engage uh, more and more uh, doctoral schools, not only from the schools of life science, like is the case for the moment, but also have doctoral schools from uh, uh, other disciplines like chemistry, physics, uh, uh, and mathematics. So this is one direction for uh, the science breaker. Then there are also some uh, projects which are uh, stemming and go, and they go in the direction of uh, nature of science. So nature of science, uh, the knowledge of nature of science, we believe is something which uh, will uh, support the dialogue uh, about scientific publication. So as you know, we are living in times where, uh, as I also was mentioning before, where the, the news are very fast, the, the, the news outlet uh, often take advantage of clickbaits to get uh, uh, the audience interested about every different kind of research, every different kind of uh, scientific uh, advancement by putting them all on the same level, putting them all on the same uh, um, the same uh, relevance of, of the research. And this might generate uh, uh, confusion in, in the public, this might generate uh, uh, false hope, but also can create uh, some, uh, some discussion that uh, they are not really grounded on, on, uh, on a solid and shared ground. So understanding what is uh, consensus, understanding what is uh, a controversy in science, understanding the, the concept of truth uh, in science is something which uh, is... Uh, an essential background for uh, for the lay public, uh, which doesn't mean to have the full knowledge of uh, every discipline, the full knowledge of every background uh, in detail, but knowing uh, that uh, the building of the truth, uh, which doesn't exist in science, by the way, <laughs> but uh, the building of what uh, um, we might think as uh, momentary truth uh, is done through the consensus, through the controversy, is uh, something which is intrinsic of the nature of science and needs to be addressed. So in this direction, we have uh, launched, um, with the support of uh, the public founding here in Switzerland, the Fond National Suisse, we have launched uh, a mini-magazine called The Breaked, uh, by, go by keeping the nomenclature very similar. And uh, this mini-magazine is uh, basically a support for the teacher, for the local teachers, and takes together four different articles from the same uh, the same topic. For can be microbiology, can be plant biology, or um, molecular biology, and so on. For the moment, uh, only about life sciences. And these four articles are lay summaries published in uh, Premiere on uh, this mini magazine, which are introduced uh, by a local scientist who makes an editorial, uh, which uh, um, gives uh, background, gives context uh, for the four different articles. Together with this editorial, the four articles, which are only summaries, of course, there is also a hands-on activity, which can be done uh, in the classroom. And what is important uh, in uh, the direction of, that I was describing before, besides this uh, material, which is uh, a training material for the teachers to keep updated with the very fast-paced uh, um, production of science, production of research, uh, is the, <clears throat> the possibility for uh, uh, the teachers to set up a webinar in the classroom, which... Uh, is uh, not the classical webinar where um, a researcher, because these webinars are held by the same scientist uh, who did the, the editorial uh, which introduces the four article. These webinars are not uh, um, 45 minutes of lesson, uh, which sometimes, not always, of course, can become very boring. And then the students, uh, they spend these 45 minutes by thinking about other things, using the smartphone under the table, etc. But uh, they want to be some very active webinars where the students are leading the discussion. So for this reason, the teacher, by taking advantage of the mini-magazine, of the topic that is uh, discussed uh, by the editorial, by the scientist in the editorial, 
will uh, set up uh, um, the, the question in the classroom ahead of the webinar. And this question can span uh, um, all the different parts of the research, uh, by the research itself, of course, but also the professional development of the career of the scientist. And the question they, they, they uh, so far to our experience, we had three webinars so far, they were really triggering some discussion. If you had a message for any of our, our scientist listeners. So what, what, I, what I feel to share, something that I firmly believe since the first moment that I started doing science communication, is that science communication is not uh, an important thing per se in the field of science communication, in bringing science to a broader audience. But it's also very important for the academic environment itself when we are making science communication, when we are putting forward our curiosity, our passion for science, we are remembering in every moment that we are doing so, why we are doing what we are doing, why we are doing research, why we are spending our night, our weekend in the laboratory making experiments by thinking about which would be the next experiment, by thinking if the results would be meaningful. Uh, which can be overwhelming at the time, but remembering the why we're doing it and seeing the interest of our audience when we are sharing our curiosity, well, this is uh, one of the biggest motivations that I had when I was, was doing research that you can get while doing research, which is this empathic bounding between you and your audience fostered by the curiosity, by sharing the curiosity that you have when you're doing research. super interesting and I can totally see how this platform can grow into a journal because it looks like it's really a um, well it's not just a summary of the of the article you really have to like explore the I mean I was looking at the I unfortunately I couldn't be there with the interview but the interview but of course I looked at the platform and I could just encourage everybody to go there because it's really really well done it's not just a summary as like in a you know, just two letters. Yeah, it's not an abstract. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, not an abstract. abstract. it's actual, the the articles are actually explained. And in my opinion, although, of course, I cannot really judge, and maybe you're better at judging mm -hmm. this, because I come sort of from the life sciences, for me, it's understandable. Whatever I clicked on was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I get it, you know. Absolutely. I did the same thing, and I found it was, yeah, I could understand any of the articles, physics, psychology, life sciences they were all super clear um there was no jargon there was nothing um it was just you know like a well-written um newspaper article but without the kind of over-the-top headlines what i really liked about the selection of topics that the the selection itself it's already tackling a lot of uh combating a lot of pseudoscience that's out there uh for example nutritional sciences um Breakfast, not the most important meal of the day. Um, unsettling, upsetting, um, but sad. <laughs> well, how are we going to get our avocado on toast now? <laughs> yeah. These articles are written in a way that we can really understand what it's about, but these are actually sound scientific articles. Yeah, because they're written by the original scientists, which I think is yeah. really cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you know, you go to any pseudo pseudoscience website selling you some kind of supplement, it sounds like a science, 
but it's not really. And so I think it's really good to have more and more of these outlets, like serious stuff, like real, real stuff, um, explained well. Yeah. yeah. And it also um, so there's a video called Open Access Explained, which I thoroughly recommend to anyone who wants to just kind of get a quick handle on it. And in that video, one of the the, the people on it speaks about how he didn't think open access was a big deal until he was sitting in the hospital next to his wife trying to figure out whether they should make this particular medical decision. And he was a scientist. He wasn't even a layperson. But he had to keep paying for articles, obviously, because the abstract doesn't tell you. And that's one of the things that's at the heart of open access, right? But this, if this took off, this circumnavigates that. So if you're most people, you don't actually even want to read the entire journal article because it's not going to mean a lot to you. What you need is a summary of it that is freely available so that you can access it. And this is not to say that the journals can carry on behaving as they are. I think we've established super clearly that that's not on for a number of reasons, but it's another step in the right direction. It's an it's not an either or game. It's an and game. Yeah, it's this. I mean, it's a different level of accessibility, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The second thing that I really liked what he said was the the stigma of science communication. Well, I have to laugh about it because it's kind of. Um, I mean, there is there is a kind of not maybe science communication, but this like stigma of uh, not being a scientist anymore. Like yeah. I know. Like a second choice career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. this goes back to our episode in the beginning, right? The very first episode we did um, on careers in science. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I agree with him that, yeah, a lot of people, senior people maybe, like look down on science communicators. Like, oh, um, but I think much worse is the, the stigma of um, science communication in the sense of, um, well, everybody can do it. Yes, yes. Not a big deal. However, actually, I mean, what we really see and hear from people, and I think there's even evidence for it, um, that basically if you do science communication, actually helps your research and yes. your thinking. And, um, and it is something that you need to train as well. It not, does not come like naturally, maybe more easily to some people than to others, but not really. It's, it's a skill, basically, so um, can be trained. And uh, I think, as he says, it's it's really good if everybody if everybody does some of it, uh, then we have a totally different academic atmosphere. And I think that's super important. Yeah, and I love that he's putting his money where his mouth is to put it uh, to use the expression, because the I, I think it may have got cut out of the um, interview just for clarity, but the editorial board of the Science Breaker is made up of PhD students from the um, the University of Geneva. So it's um he's he's literally creating a culture where people are doing open access and outreach and science communication while they're doing their PhD. Um and that becomes then like a natural part of the process instead of a separate thing. So it's like, oh there's real science and then there's science communication as this sort of yeah. added extra. Yeah. Um Oh that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's really empowering because I think it um, it kind of um, overcomes these hierarchies, mm. traditional hierarchies of senior researchers and PhDs and so forth because you've got PhDs as as an editorial board. I, I just really like that idea. It's cool. Mm. So I recommend everyone to go um, 
to the Science Breaker. And if you've written an article, submit your your summary of it. It's a really good exercise in scientific communication and it's really good for the, the general public to be able to understand your research. And if you are either interested in another discipline that's not your own or you know you've got friends or family who are big science um, buffs or whatever or just interested, they can, as uh, Max outlined, they can request an article. So encourage them to do that because the more requests that get sent out, the better. We're on Twitter at OOSP underscore Orion Pod. Uh, please follow us and um, retweet and comment and give your opinion on things. If you've heard of uh, other platforms that you think are doing great open science work, we'd love to hear about it. If you yourself are running one of these platforms, we'd like to interview you. So get in touch. You can also email us at orion at mdc-berlin.de. As always, this episode was made possible by the Orion Open Science Project and the wonderful work by uh, Paulo Oliveira, who does the sound editing. The music was written and produced by Fabio de Miguel. Bye. Bye. Bye.